With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey folks, John Miller here. We are going to discuss Iowa's win over Northern Illinois, season opening win over Northern Illinois, final score 33-7. to But boy, that was, uh, took a while to get fun, didn't it? I was texting with a friend of mine at halftime, and I jokingly said, why do we look so forward to these things that the start of something that can create like you know WTF moments right out of the shoot? And I didn't really feel that way because for those of you who are regulars to the uh, Hawkeye Nation podcast, you listened this week to Steve Dace and I discuss our belief that this game was going to be very ugly. Dace is like, hey man, win at 14-13. You don't have your two tackles. Weather could be bad. Move on down the road motors and get ready for Iowa State. I thought I would win this game 24-10 to in that range and it kind of played out. I remember saying we might see more three tight end sets than we could ever remember in this game and I think that we did. Iowa ran several three tight end sets in that second half in that decisive third quarter, just going powerball and smashing it up. So, by the way, those of you listening to this podcast afterwards, you may or may not have known I'm doing a simultaneous Facebook Live. So those of you who are watching this on Facebook Live, go ahead. Send in some questions. Um, I think I'm going to be able to use pinned comment. This is the first time I've done a Facebook Live. Um, and I might pin some in order to come back and get them later on or figure it out as we go along. I think a lot of y'all are, are very understanding. I'll figure this out in about a week. It's not like technology uh, you know, spooks me. I've been in the website business since 1999 after all one of the old old school bloggers here so you can submit your questions via facebook live if you want to and after i get done rambling i'll come back and talk about some of your questions as well so kind of like a facebook sound off old school meets new school kind of deal except on facebook you can see me which i don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea and by the way if you own a company you want me to wear your gear i'll rep it i can be bought 
easily. All right, let's dive into this. 33-7 Iowa. Hawkeyes do the safety dance in this game. That was also nice to see as the defense really carried the day uh, for Iowa. And another thing uh, that I said and Dace and I said in the podcast this past week was Northern Illinois is going to have a tough time scoring against Iowa. And they did. The only touchdown that they had was late in the game in garbage time after Iowa's um, starting defense had already left the field. And I'm going back through some of my Twitter favorites here real quick to find them. There was some point like midway through the fourth quarter of this game that Northern Illinois had like two or three yards of offense after maybe like a buck 50 or so in the first half. The Iowa defense came out with a vengeance. Uh, in this one, it, it was it was kind of interesting because I think it takes a lot of us, including myself, a little bit of an adjustment period to get back into, okay, what to react about, what to over... I probably tweeted less in this game than I ever have in a game, and I still probably tweeted more than anyone, not that there's any award for that, and you can probably tweet too much, but... Um, we all have to kind of relearn how to handle things and handle first halves that don't go so well and handle, you know, dropped touchdown passes right out of the chute from preseason All-American tight ends who is never going to have an easier one than he dropped. With Nathan Stanley's throw to Noah Fant, oh my gosh, Noah Fant is not going to want to rewatch that. That was a beautiful throw. Fant could still possibly be running. And what a way to emphatically begin this season and likely doing so would have begun the talk to Noah Fant to the NFL. It's a foregone conclusion, which I kind of think it is, as long as he stays healthy. But that would have put an exclamation point onto that. But there was so much. In the first two drives, Iowa ran six plays. They had three what I call LS, let's go LOEs. All right, gonna gonna come up with a whole new, a whole new stat. Hold on a second here. Since I'm doing the Facebook Live video now, this podcast might sound a little different. But I had to take, take a drink of water. LOEs. There were three LOEs. LOEs. There were three LOEs on Iowa's first two possessions. Lack of executions is what we're gonna go with. LOEs. Okay, not LOEs like your aunt LOEs. L O Ease, lack of executions. Eloise, I like it. We'll keep it. There were three of those in the first six plays. Drop, drop, bad throw. Then Iowa gets the first punt of the season blocked, and you're thinking, oh, crap. Because, you know, Ryan Gersandi and Colton Rastetter, which one, one or the other? One guy was on the 2D roster this week. Well, it was an accident. Like, what's going on? This isn't a great part of the, uh, of the program last year. Hopefully it's made some improvements. And I brought up in this week's podcast, David Bradley, uh, as a freshman punter for Iowa, way back in the early part of the 2000s, I think he averaged like 35.8 yards per punt as a freshman. Then he averaged 39 and change. Then he averaged 40 and change. And I think 41 and change. You can make huge jumps, huge leaps um, in your ability as a punter from year to year, from one year to the next. And I'm not saying that Colton Rastetter is uh, entirely over the hump here. I'm just saying if you're a punter, you'd like to have a day where you four your punts averaged 53.8 yards and you had a long of 69 that was downed inside the one yard line that's not a bad day it's not a bad start 
not a bad way to hold on to that job. So I was going to need all of that. Man, this is, I forget how much I jump around in these. I haven't even hardly gotten to the statistics yet, and I'm already talking about punters and averages. Speaking of that, let's just go to Gronweg, all right? Number 14 in your playbook, number one in my heart right now. I tell you what, I'm not saying, I'm just saying from that department. Maybe it's just because he's white, and of course, we have to draw comparisons to people of the same race, it would seem. Dude has a little shake to him and a little shimmy to him. Has that upper upper body moving light, you know, just kind of like rock and sock and robots for those of you that are old like me. Um, reminds me of a little Timmy Dwight star, starter set. Doesn't have Timmy speed. Doesn't have Tim Dwight's Olympic speed level burst. And I do mean Olympic speed level burst. But he has a burst. And let me tell you something in this game that won't show up in the stat sheet. It's called hidden yards. Remember how many times the last couple of years I was punt returner, couldn't even field a punt or struggled to field a punt and didn't attempt to field a punt and that ball would bounce and it would go and roll and roll inside the 20, inside the 10. Remember that stat we talked about early last year? Boy, that's another 85-yard uh, drive Iowa scored a touchdown on the Iowa State game. Those are hidden yards. Grunwick today stepped up or ran back in some instances, fielded every punt that came his way. Now, he didn't break anything for 20, 30 yards or a touchdown, but what he did is he probably, if you look at last year's year-over-year comparison with the lost hidden yardage Iowa had uh, last year versus the non-lost hidden yardage that Iowa had in this game with Gronwick back there, you're probably talking an average of 10 yards. I mean, he caught everything. I'm going to try, roll down to uh, his return stats right here. He had five returns for 42 yards and a long of 12. Five goes into 42 nine-ish times, 8.7 times, if I'm going to go off the top of my head. 8.7 yard return, that's not bad. You'll take that. But it's the hidden yardage that you get attack onto that. You don't really get attack onto it. You just know what I'm talking about. If you watched Iowa football last year, last couple of years, you know what I'm talking about. He fielded the punts, he got the ball, made a cut, and boy, did he go hard. Not Tim Dwight, not saying he is, just saying it's good to have Kyle Gronwick back there. Um, what did Iowa do well? They ran the ball well in the second half. They wore Northern Illinois down, wore them down. Just decided to come out and um, use some power, uh, some power football plays. I'm just seeing a celebration on Twitter. I want to save and maybe come to. We'll of course get to Kirk Ferentz and, and, and what uh, milestone he passed today coming up, and I'll expand on that quite a bit. Um, but they ran it well. 209 net rushing yards for Iowa on 48 attempts, 4.4 yards per rush. It didn't look all that great in the first half. Let me scroll down here to the uh, statistics at halftime, see if I can find those real quick. There's end of the first quarter. Here's a halftime. 3-0. Iowa with 148 total yards and Northern Illinois 146. And rushing Iowa was 19 carries for 58 yards. That's not good. That's not good. That is not good at all. But then you end the game. Iowa came out, kept going to the well, exerted its will, even doubled down. Now, they brought they had three tight end sets a lot. They had two tight end sets where the tight end stayed white, white uh, um, 
stayed right on the edge of the tackles, so a tight formation, and they just went power football. The tackles needed some help. Iowa's tackles today, uh, Levi Paulson, Mark Kallenberger, and uh, Cody Ferguson, I believe, um, they did better in pass protection than they did in the run game, which is a little bit surprising to me. Um, which probably says, yeah, these guys probably are uh, all true-ish tackles. But they did not do well in, in the run game early on, and I didn't expect them to. Nobody expected them to. Okay, Nobody expected them to, to overpower and to dominate. So in the second half, Iowa made an adjustment. They kicked those tight ends in, and they had seven, sometimes eight if you count the fullback, eight blockers, and they just played some smash-mouth football. Brought in Torn Young. Now... I was surprised when Ivory Kelly Martin was named Iowa's uh, starting tailback for this season. And I was a little surprised today not seeing Torn Young in the first half. And then he comes in, and boy, is he a house. He has um, he has some cuts I didn't know that he had at speed. I thought he was kind of a one-cut, zone scheme, back, go north-south kind of guy. But out in open field, he was making some real good cuts. And man, he... He gets a good head of steam going. Um, somebody asked me on Twitter, John, is it possible that he was suspended? Now, I, I have not read any Twitter after the game. I had to jump in the car. My wife and I had to go make a couple of trips to get a couple of cars. My daughter's, uh, I don't want to say in case she watches this. Anyway, I had to run some errands right after the game. So I'm recording this at uh, 749 Central Time. So the game's been over an hour and a half. So who knows? This could have been talked about in the post game. If it is, I haven't seen any of it. Somebody asked me if if, if um, Torrin Young could have, been, could have been suspended for the first half and not nobody would have known about it. That's very possible. I'm not saying it, it's what it was. Maybe some of you can uh, let me know if that's the case here. Um, at any rate, just you can say if you know that it happened or not. I don't know. But it's possible. Kirk Ferentz wouldn't have had to announce that at a press conference if he weren't asked about it. And I don't think that he would have answered that if he weren't asked about it. So it's possible. I'm not saying that it is. Torrin Young is, I think, the lone sophomore on Iowa's leadership team. That doesn't mean that he can't make a mistake. So, But anyway, I would imagine, but let's say that's not what happened. Let's say that Ivory Kelly Martin and um, Sargent just were more dominant, did better from day to day, more consistent in practice than Torrin Young was. Okay, well, then they were going to get the first opportunities. It's still surprising that, that Torn Young didn't get a first-half carry when things weren't going so good, given his skill set. So I can almost buy into more that maybe he had to miss that first. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, so, but at any rate, he's going to play a lot more. I mean, he looked real, real good. The Iowa's running backs in this game, um, Torn Young, eight rushes for 84 yards, uh, had a long of 10. Ivy Kelly Martin, 16 for 62 with a long of 10, but he had a 20-some yard, maybe a 40-yard run called back. A couple of other runs called back. Iowa, again, another uh, Eloise. Um, the penalties in this game. Ivory Kelly Martin had a couple of big runs. One of them, they would have been like first and goal at the five, and a hole came back, and Iowa got a field goal out of that one in the first half. So that was it was just not a crisply played game. I'm going to go up here and look for penalties really quick here. Penalties, penalties, penalties. 
see, I haven't looked at a, a box score so long. I, I normally I know right where these things are. I've had eight penalties for 66 yards. That's a lot. Iowa traditionally is one of the least penalized teams um, in college football. So at any rate, a lot of things to clean up. You've gosh, I don't know how many times I've said this. I've been doing post game either radio shows or podcasts since 2003. Uh, the Golden Harvest Hawkeye Huddle on WMT. I did that in 2003. And then after that, from 04 until 2012, uh, I did Sound Off with the late, great Jim Zobel. And then from 2013 to now, uh, 2013 moved to Oklahoma. Yes, it is on Central Time. Somebody asked that question. Um, I've been doing the Instant Reaction podcast, and I really enjoy doing these. Podcasting is my favorite medium. This is the medium I want to basically hang out in and roll around in, if you will, until um, you know I hang up the uh, the microphone. Is that what I do? But at any rate, I've been doing these for uh, a long time, and I know that I've said this a number of times. It is so good and valuable. When you get a win in your season opener, when you didn't play well, because that gives the coaches so many opportunities this coming week to say, I told you so. I told you so. If X, you'll get Y, but you didn't do X, so you get Z, and we don't want Z. We want Y, so do X. That sort of coaching, that sort of teaching goes on. No better opportunity to teach than in a win when you didn't play that well. And Iowa won 33-7. I'm not saying they stunk, but we all saw that first half. It, you know, it, the game was a mo. The game's a Monet. You sit back and you see 33-7. You see Kirk Ferentz won his 144th game. He passed Hayden Fry. We remember some of those big moments. You sit back and say, oh, man, that's a pretty painting. And then you get closer and you look at, oh, what? Ooh, Monet, he had skills? That's what I always kind of thought about Monet. Not a big Monet fan, really. Um... Much better to see it from afar than close up. Kind of how you look at these stats. So Iowa has so many things that they can correct. And they get two tackles, two offensive tackles back next week. Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs, to quote Gary Dolphin, who will likely be snorting fire next week. Not, 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 not that kind of snort. I'm like, El Toro, snorting fire. Pa, pa, El Toro, right? That kind of fire. So they're good. They're likely NFL caliber tackles. Mark Kallenberger and Mr. Paulson and Mr. Ferguson are not yet. I think Kallenberger, they actually played pretty good. I, I, I'm going to watch this game again, as I always do. I think that they had some really good moments in this game. They had some rough moments. I'll tell you who had rough moments in blocking was the tight ends. They did not look that great. And fullback missed a block or two along the way. But it's the opening game. That stuff's going to happen. And you got to win 33-7. to and you get a, the coaches get to come in and get on these guys. And that's Iowa State week. And you refocus and you double down your focus. Because Iowa State's got a real good football team. Nate Stanley in this game was 11 of 23, one interception and one touchdown, 108 yards passing. He wasn't crisp. Threw a lot of uh, now some of these out route balls that he threw, far hash outs, that man, it could have got intercepted. They were short. So part of me wonders, was he just kind of kind of skipping it in there, throwing it away without throwing it in the fourth row? But then there were times where he was throwing short on some quick hitters out there. I think he was rushing his footwork, rushing his footwork and rushing his delivery. And listen, Stanley's been at practice this week. 
Maybe um, maybe he's Mark Kallenberger, who was blocking his blind side, was struggling a little bit, and he knew that uh, Northern Illinois had a really good pass rusher across the way. Northern Illinois just got one sack, by the way. Who knows? Who knows what that is? But he didn't look that good, but those are all things he can correct. There were times he looked good, and Iowa dropped the ball. They had the Eloises. Bad case of the Eloise in this game. A number of them. I mean, Iowa could have won this game 50 to 7 or 50 to nothing, really, if they would have executed, but they didn't. And the coaches get to teach from that. So that's not a uh, bad thing. Don't know if everybody's going crazy about the uh, Peyton Mansell. Two for two with one pass. Little waggle out. Got it right to his tight end. Got it quick in the, in, in the play. Tight end was able to turn up field and get some yards from it. That's what you like to see, but there is no quarterback controversy. TJ Hawkinson. Oh, boy, I had a quip for during the game. They would have ran one more seam route. I had a great TJ Hawkins seam was what I was going to tweet out. But alas, didn't get to do it. So I'll share that with you. That one goes on the cutting room floor. Unable to use that. Four catches, 64 yards. Here is a prediction right now. TJ Hawkinson has more receptions this year than Noah Fan. Maybe by one or two. Maybe he's within a couple. But it's going to be a lot closer than people think because no one's going to get a lot of attention. Except where in the world was the Northern Illinois linebacker or safety on Iowa's first touchdown of the game, first touchdown of the season, that little one or two yard toss from Nate Stanley to Noah Fan on fourth and one or fourth and two, whatever that was. Did the kid not know Noah Fant was in the scouting report? He was nowhere. Nowhere to be seen. Fant released out in the end zone. I was kind of worried Nate Stanley was going to throw it over Fant's head. He was that wide open. It that was that was really really bad. Um, and then over, uh, let, let, let's look at some team uh, statistics real quick here. 18 first downs for Iowa, 15 for NIU. Uh, total yards for NIU 211. What 60 of those came after Iowa benched their starter, something like that. Iowa's defense played really, really well. Five sacks in this game for Iowa, and A.J. Epinesa looked like he had a little bit of an edge to him. I like seeing that. Um, Iowa was actually 8 of thir- eight of 16 on third downs. Would not have thought it was that high. Northern Illinois, 3, three of 12 on, uh, on third downs. Iowa on fourth downs, they were 1 of 2 in this game. The defense, defensive line. Don't worry about some of those rushing yards that they gave up early, and they gave up those in the middle. They were running some zone reads, some inside zone read kind of fake handoff combos. Those things are going to happen. At the end of the day, it's how many. How many points did they have? What are they on third downs? They were third. Uh, they were, uh, you know, three of twelve on third downs. And yes, they're not great. They weren't. They they are not going to make anybody think that they have a great offense. But those are the kind of things that you look at. Iowa State's going to get some yards. Iowa State wouldn't surprise me if they got at least three hundred and fifty yards. But you just have to make them kick field goals and not get touchdowns and keep things in front of you. The linebackers. A little dicey out there, but they've now got a game under their belt as well. Five sacks for Iowa. Scott Docterman of The Athletic wrote or tweeted something recently that I'm just amazed by. In the seasons where Iowa has had 30 or more sacks, they've won 10 or more games. That's a yo right there. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but Iowa had five sacks. Five is a lot of sacks in one game. That doesn't happen um, all that often. 
trying to see if there are any other things here that I want to bring up before I go to some of your uh, questions here on Facebook Live that will also translate and play well with the Instant Reaction podcast that's being recorded simultaneously. Kristen Welch led Iowa with 11 tackles. That guy's fast. And how about Nick Neiman? Boy, he sure showed up. He he. <laughs> Oh, we're going to like watching um, watching him play. Sacks in this game. Parker Hesse with two. A.J. Epinesa with one. Kristen Welch with one. And Anthony Nelson also with one. Let me see if there are any questions here. Um, best podcast ever. It's, you know, we do what we can. Uh, Levi Vandermolen. Hey, Levi. Was it just me or did our linebacker core look physically small in comparison to others? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about... Josie Jewell, Ben Neiman, who actually made the Chiefs' 53-man roster, was just announced on Saturday. Undrafted to 53-man roster, had one of the highest grades of any linebacker in the NFL in the preseason, by the way. So, yeah, I mean, there's still some um, some work to do. Spencer Paris, hey, John, too lazy to look up. How many drops did Iowa have today? I think at least four. I think it was more like five. Eloise, lack of executions. Can't have Aunt Eloise messing around with your football team. You're going to struggle. You are definitely going to struggle. Um, Kyle Hick, we need to stretch the field. Uh, Number six, Amir Smith-Marset wants the ball. Let's use the receiving core. Nice jet sweep today. Iowa, the first two to three um, series they had, they were taking some shots. No fan dropped his in the breadbasket. There was just lack of execution going on. And I don't blame Brian Ferentz as a coordinator for, okay, let's get back and keep things simple. Maybe we're not yet ready for adult food. Got to eat the baby food first. We can't digest steak yet. Got to just, all right, here's some of that Gerber crab or squash you don't want to eat. But it worked. Let's bring in the, the Gerber squash would be the equivalent of Iowa's three tight end sets that really paved the way in the second half. They tried some things in the first half. I think all in all, you know, they probably got a lot out of some things. Um, let's see. Looking, uh, yes, this is a Salt Life hat, one of my favorite hats ever. I have uh, three more that I bought of the same exact color. So when this one wears out and gets dingy, go right to the lid. You think I'm kidding? I'm a hat freak. Let me go this up on top of my tornado shelter. See that little thing? That is a sleeve of hats right there. Now those aren't all the uh, Salt Life hats. But um, they're hats. I guess you can't see that in the podcast. But anyway, yeah, that was my storm shelter. This is my home office. I um, am an energy consultant by day. Um, receivers still can't catch the ball. They struggled. Smith, Brandon Smith today struggled. You just freaking, you can't have that. Especially a guy like him who's trying to earn the trust of the coaches. You cannot have that. He looks like Tarzan. So far, catches like Jane. Can't have that. Now, I'm sure he's going to get there. And somebody made a comment on Twitter that I thought was a really good one. Was that, um, boy, you think Stanley and Brandon Smith must have hooked up a lot in the preseason because Stanley sure was looking his way early on. There was a a post-corner route early on that Iowa fans wanted to have uh, pass interference called. And and Smith sold the post and he broke outside to go to the corner route and he had a defender in his way. He just didn't break that hard enough. It was kind of a banana cut out. You got to go, you know, almost 45 degrees when you make that cut um, and, and, and try to sell the PI better. And, and he'll learn. He'll learn. He's, he is, uh, he's a good guy. Ethan Kennedy, O-line uh, played well in pass protection, was very pleased. Once again, our wide receivers can't get open. 
would like to see a bigger push from the O-line on run plays in the first half. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. I think you're going to see that big push next week when you get back your two 300-plus-pound uh, seasoned uh, tackles um, in Tristan Wirfs and Mr. Jackson, Alaric Jackson. Um, Brett agrees with me uh, on huge, ret- huge improvements at punt returner. Um, Gwig, is that what we're going to call Gronwig, Al? Al Hotchkiss? I kind of like that. Gwig? Little Gwiggy? I like that out there. My gosh, i got to turn my air conditioner on here in a second. I'm starting to sweat here. Still hot. 95 degrees down in uh, Tulsa um, today. Yeah, Tim Wells also comments on no separation from the wide receivers. I, you know, I'd need to see the eye in the sky, all 22 film, really to see that. It's difficult to notice that from the game. Um, sitting on my couch watching the game there. Maybe you were at the at the stadium and that was one of your observations, and I get that. But I, I'd need to see more film. But I, it just didn't seem like today Stanley and everybody was in the same they – they weren't on the same page together. But that's okay. Listen, the, the pace of practice – because some people don't understand that. How can they not be on the same page, John? They've been throwing each other, like, you know, for, you know, hundreds, thousands of times the last four weeks in practice. There's a different speed. Practice speed and game speed are different. Why is it that you could go through practice in August and it'd be 95 degrees out there and you may never get cramps? And then your first game, and it's 80 and a little more humid, man, you get cramped up. It's because of adrenaline and anxiety that's coursing through you. It, everything about a game is different. Everything about a game. I was a pretty good practice player in basketball. In games, in high school, I just the, the lights were on and I did not. I was not consistent. I was much more comfortable playing baseball and football and, and did better in games than those two that I didn't practice. The, the games are different. People say he's a gamer. Chuck Hartley, for those of you old enough to remember uh, Chuck Hartley, Iowa's quarterback in the late 1980s, self-admittedly to me, he was a horrible practice player. Very bad. But in the games, he was a gamer. Some people just have it. So... This is good experience uh, for all of them. Nick Brown says, watching Kallenberger plant Smith on his back on Torn Young's TD was fun. Yes, he, Kallenberger has a very bright future. Today is a, will be a great learning experience for him. And Smith is a very dangerous pass rusher, so um, good for them. Uh, Roll down a few. Yes, Steve Noller, I am on Central Time. Chris Fisher said, North End Zone is awesome. Man, it looked phenomenal. Saw several pictures of it. Wasn't there, didn't get to see it. But man, that thing looks so cool. Just unbelievable. I wish the South End Zone could be like that. Can you imagine Kinnick with the South End Zone like that? Dave, I mean, it might be outlawed. It'd be too loud. Holy cow, did that look great. Looked really, really good. My brother went up there before the game. Uh, said that he was in the upper deck. He said, little, little steep up there. Um, let's see here. Ian Waters. And NIU calling their timeouts at the end of the game was BS. Yeah, whatever. Um, it's, it's a game. No big deal. Still waiting for Brandon Smith to bust out. Um, let's, let's, let's hold off on Brandon Smith as a disappointment just yet. We've still got a lot of football games left. He's probably played in, what, 13, 14? We'll figure it out. Um, going through a few more comments today here before I kind of uh, switch and wrap this up. Sneaky solid game from the corner position today. NIU may not have had the players to really challenge. They really weren't – they didn't take too many outside deep shots, did they? They were really – 
focusing more in the middle of the field than mesh routes is where I think their offense is more uh, set up to do. So um, probably going to get more of that next week from Iowa State, which will have a more vertical Kyle Kemp at quarterback. They've got some really big and dangerous targets. Iowa State's offense, legit, legit. Now, I don't know where their game's at. And really, who, the, the first game of the season, um, who cares? I mean, it's just it, it, get out with the win. That's pretty much it. And the last thing I want to talk about here today uh, as we wrap this up, and, and thank you to many of you for jumping in uh, on the Facebook Live and those of you listening uh, to the podcast. It's longer than it usually is, but I'm hoping to do these things this year as long as I can. Kirk Ferentz with his 144th win. And in 1999, when he got win number one, I believe I was on the plaza in Kansas City with my wife listening to the game on the radio. She was in shopping and I was in a parking deck and I was listening to that game on a radio because I didn't want to be on the plaza in a parking deck shopping with my wife because I'd rather, I wanted to be at the other place watching the dang game with my friends. But sometimes husbands, wives, we got to do things we don't want to do. So that's where I was. And that's where I experienced Kirk Ferentz's first victory. I think since then, I have not, I've seen every other win of the Kirk Ferentz era. I've watched it either in attendance or on television. Uh, I've watched every one of his games that has been on television, and most all of them have. I have had the opportunity to interview Kirk Ferentz in a one-on-one, face-to-face, private, I mean, one-on-one setting several times, more so earlier in my career. I've had the opportunity to interview him on the radio in one-on-one interviews. I couldn't even tell you how many times. I've had several opportunities to interact with Kirk in more private moments in the green rooms at Iowa Club events that I would emcee through the years where Kirk was the featured speaker. And Kirk and I have traded letters and emails uh, throughout the years. Had a situation in 2014 where I probably went overboard in some and how uh, how I was critical, not my criticism, but the um, the way in which I was critical. And actually, in the off season that year, sent him a note. Um, just I felt like I owed him an apology, and I even said in the letter, "I'm not apologizing for being critical. I'm apologizing for the lack of professionalism that I was critical in." And and he wrote me back as he always does. Kirk Ferentz writes, I would, I would imagine 20 to 40 handwritten letters every single day. Every day. I bet every day with the exception of July's, which is when he tries to take time off, year-round. Just a, a powerful pro tip. If you're in sales or when you're in customer relations or what have you, you write people handwritten letters, it's a very, very powerful thing. Second most powerful thing or I'd say even more powerful than that. I had somebody who once tell me the most powerful word in the English language is your name repeated back to you by someone who you would not expect to remember you. It was 2000, and I came up for Iowa Football Media Day. And uh, at that point in time, I was a blogger for, um, gosh, superhawkeye.com. One of the first big... It was the first... Hawkeye mega site, and I still think to this day it's the biggest Iowa website that there's ever been. Because I, I know the day that Blake Larson committed, we had a million page views in one day, and I don't know any Iowa site 
that gets a million page views in one day anymore because there's so many different ones now. At that point in time, it was the only one by and large. It, it was it was enormous. Me and, and Josh Clark and um, Tom Cakert. Um, and then I started up Hawkeye Nation a few years later, and then Tom and I worked together there, et cetera, et cetera. So I came up for Media Day. I had begged electronically. Phil Hattie was Iowa Sports Information Director at this point in time, and I'd kept sending him emails. I kept sending him emails. Phil, um, my name is John Miller. I, I write for SuperHawkeye.com. We have this readership, and I knew what the the daily subscription totals at that point in time were of the Des Moines Register and the Cedar Rapids Gazette because they published those things in advertising packets. So I was saying, hey, here's their readership. Here's their Sunday readership. Here's my readership every day. It's just as big as them. I think I deserve a press pass because he denied me and denied me and denied me and denied me and denied me. But I kept coming and I kept coming and I kept coming and I would come back in a different tack and I'd always do it with a smile. Always do it with a smile. And after a while in the battle between the rock and the water, the water wins not because it's stronger but by sheer persistence. And I certainly wasn't stronger than the monolith that is the University of Iowa, but I'd like to think I was persistent. So I came up to Media Day in 2000, but in 1999, I was actually at the spring game, and that was Kirk Ferentz's, and I entered it first, and I introduced myself to him then at Media Day that year, and I didn't have a name tag on. Kirk sees me walking down the sidewalk. This is weird. Walking down the sidewalk um, over by those where, where the water towers, and I don't know why Kirk was over there, but I, I saw him there before the game. And I'm walking this way, and he's walking this way. He's like, "Hey, John, how are you?" I was stunned, just stunned, that he would remember me from one chance meeting. And I wasn't wearing Super Hawkeye gear. I never, never got any Super Hawkeye gear. And um, I was the first ever credentialed uh, non-traditional media member. At Iowa, I was the first person ever to get a credential with a website. And for the next several years when I would show up at media events, and in 2001, Iowa gave me um, a full crest credential to all the games in football and basketball. And that football season, I got a chance to sit next to the late, great Bob Brooks my first year on the beat. And then that basketball season, I got to sit next to the late, great Al Grady of the Iowa City Press Citizen for that first year on that beat. And then I get to do eight to nine years of radio with Jim Zobel. I mean, what a life. Very lucky person. And uh, it's been a, a great run in that regard. And I'm just having fun now. So Kirk always treated me as though I were with the Des Moines Register or with the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And guys, I'm telling you, back in these days, I would get some looks from some people. They wouldn't have peed on me if I was on fire because I was an internet guy. There are some reporters still to this day, one in particular, who's not working the Iowa beat right now, just viciously mean and all of it behind backs, but it would get back to me. There's some people that, that are, no, let's not go there, but you just take it. What, what are you going to do? I took it. That's fine. Smile at them. And I kept doing that, and I kept doing that. But Kirk was always very respectful. And then after a few years, the internet, you know, people realized the internet wasn't going to be this big pa uh, passing fancy. And um, things kind of normalized, let's just say. Kirk always treated me with incredible respect. 
Kirk Ferentz has meant so much to my career in media. Um, just by acknowledging me, just by giving me his time, just by agreeing to come on my shows. The more that people were able to hear me interviewing Kirk Ferentz or see me doing a video with Kirk Ferentz led to more legitimacy for me in the genre that I was in. And then 2010 came around, and Gary Barta was very, very helpful to me at this point in time. I auditioned for a TV show at the Big Ten Network. I can't remember how many people send in tapes and auditions. I got a chance to audition for uh, uh, the Big Ten Pulse, and um, I got the show. I find out later on, I can't remember if it was years later, it probably was, who went to bat for me? Um, Who called into the Big Ten? Um, great people, great people. So my respect, my gratitude runs deep, which is why I felt like I needed to, to send a, a letter to Kirk in 2014, apologizing for the way that I was critical. And I couldn't be happier that Kirk now has Iowa's all-time record of 144 wins. He is a man of the utmost class, comports himself with honor, class, dignity, and honesty. He is consistent as any human being I've ever, I say known, I've never been to his house for cold ones, you know, for LaCroix or anything like that. But he just, the guy's just consistent. I, I don't know anybody in a private setting who's ever said a bad thing about him. And man, that is hard. When you've been on this planet for 62, 63 years, to not have somebody come at you, maybe maybe just a gardener? Maybe their neighbors don't really like him because of some of the brouhaha's they've gotten into over uh, paving and, and road stuff that doesn't really matter. But I consider myself a pretty likable guy, but I know there's a lot of people that don't like me, sometimes just because how my voice sounds. Or just because maybe I said something about their favorite team that's not my favorite team and they've taken it a little too far. They didn't realize that I was just joking when I said I'd never let my daughter ever date a Cyclone fan. Man, I was just kidding about that. thought I told you that. Kirk's a great man. It's a great honor for him. Hayden Fry to me, as a child, was larger than life. He still is. Because I remember him through the eye of a child's mind. The people that we look up to that are that are big to us that children can hardly ever be surpassed by anyone else later in our years because we remember those those heroes as young children in our heads and it's just difficult to surpass that. But I remind myself that there may be a couple of generations of Iowa fans who will look at Kirk, remember Kirk, think of Kirk, the same way that I think of, remember and look and revere Hayden Fry. And as someone sent to me on Twitter, I'm not sure who it was, and I apologize for that. But I grew up in the Goldilocks zone of Iowa sports. The Goldilocks zone, if, if you're a fan of uh, astronomy and you know, particle astrophysics, uh, which I kind of am, Goldilocks zone would be an area that scientists believe is potentially um, capable of hosting or evolving life because we look, okay, we're this distance from our sun, looks like there's potential water there, etc., etc. And since that worked here, it's got to work everywhere. So we call this the Goldilocks zone. I grew up in the Goldilocks zone of Iowa fo- football and basketball. 
1981, Final Four. 1978, Hayden Fry arrived. 1985, Rose Bowl, 10 wins. 1987, 10 wins. 1987, basketball, 18-0, and 0, number one in the country. Number one in the country in football. I mean, that was a heck of a time. And I've gotten to see two Iowa football coaches over 40 years. Hayden Fry is in the College Football Hall of Fame. Kirk Ferentz, as long as he has the winning percentage to get there, and if Iowa wins nine games, I think, this year, that he'll have that 600%. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Maybe a better person than he is uh, head of a football program, actually. And I think he's pretty good at being head of a football program. So congratulations to Kirk Ferentz. Great honor. Thank you for watching and or listening to this HN somewhat instant, mostly delayed podcast and Facebook live video. As long as I'm from the home mothership, which I should be for most of this season, I'm going to do the simulcast podcast and Facebook live. And those of you listening on the podcast, I point over here because I've got like, you know, three 27 inch HD monitors going. Um, if you're listening to this in the podcast and you want to get a visceral experience, just the link to this will be on the Facebook page we have, Hawkeye Nation Facebook page. Of course, tweet it out. You can come back and watch this if you want to. I'm not sure why you would. You pretty much know everything right now. Uh, thank you to Exile Brewing Company for once again sponsoring the HN Podcast this year. Could not be more excited about that. There's been several companies reach out to us this week that are also interested in being sponsors. And like I said, Facebook Live, here we go. I'll wear your hat at your business. I'll wear your shirt at your company. Little S on the front or LOEs on the front. Um, one of our podcasts two weeks ago that Steve Dace and I did on our thoughts on the Urban Meyer verdict has been uh, downloaded, I think, now approaching 80,000 times. And you can reach a lot of people on the HN Podcast. So, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you soon.